asking a few questions. The first question is this. Why did Jesus save you? You ever ask yourself that question? Why did Jesus save me? You see, for me, I come from a family of, of how can I put it politely? Uh, some rambunctious people. And that's very, very clean. And, and most of them have had church when they were kids. When they were kids, they were drugged to church. Uh, may even been drugged just to get them to church, but they, they were drugged to church, they were made to go to church, and they grew up in church, and they know God, uh, but they, they've never really had a relationship with God, and, and God's moved on their hearts, I know that for sure, but they've never really walked into a relationship with God, and so for me, I come from that kind of a family, and, 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 and I sit here and I go, some days I just go, God, why did you save me? Why, why did you do this to me? What was your reason for for saving me? Why didn't you save one of my other cousins? Or why didn't you save one of the other guys and make them a preacher? (laughs) That's on the bad days. (laughs) Why Bobby couldn't be the preacher? And I could be the Navy man, living a Navy career and all these other things. But uh, God has a purpose and a reason. And so I've asked the question this morning, why did Jesus save you? Why did he die on the cross for us? Why did he raise from the dead for us? Was it just for us? Or was it for others too? You see, you got to answer the question. You have to answer the question, why did Jesus die for me? What is his purpose for me? What is his intentions for me? Because you see, if you understand that Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins that we couldn't pay for... To, to, to give us victory and healing and, and to, to be able to set us free from bondages. If he died on the cross for that and then was raised from the grave to give us a new life, to give us an abundant life. If you really believe that, then you got to sit back and go, man, why did he do all that for me? I mean, because think about it. Nobody else has done that for you. Your parents may have made a few sacrifices. They may have had to wear some Walmart shoes or something for a little while. Back in my day, that was important. You know, you'd pick on somebody if they had Walmart shoes. Today, at the age of 42, Walmart shoes are cool. <laughs> and they're cheap. Can I get an amen? But, but your, your parents may have made some, some sacrifices for you. But let me tell you something. No one has died on a cross to pay for your sins and to go to the grave and then raise from the grave to give you life except Jesus. He's the only one to do that. Why? Why would he do that? Would he do that so that you could start dressing better? Attending church on Sunday? Maybe you quit cussing as much? Some of you got still healing your tongue. (laughs) Would it be that he would... (laughs) Maybe you'd quit drinking? Is that why he died on the cross? No, I think it was bigger than that. I think it was so much bigger than that. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me because he has a purpose for my life. And his purpose for my life is that I would go and bring others to him. Right? Yes, he saved me. Yes, my eternity is sealed up. I'm good. I'll go to, I, I can face death with confidence. 
That I'm going to spend eternity in heaven and not the alternative? Right? I've got that confidence and that's great. And he wanted to bring that confidence to me. But there's more to it. We can't just stop at salvation. We were never meant to stop at salvation. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I touched on this a little bit last week from this, this same scripture. And God just seems to have brought me back to it. 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 15, why did Jesus save us? He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. I'll read that again. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So Christ died for us so that we would, we would not live for ourselves anymore, but instead of living for ourselves, we would live for Him. And sometimes that gets cloudy and sometimes that gets a little murky. And we go, well, what does it really mean to live for, for Christ? Does that mean I go to church every Sunday? Does that mean that I tithe? Does that mean that I, I become a good person? No. That means that you live for Him. What does it mean to live? Everything that I do is for Him. It's for Him. No longer for me. But here's the craziness in all this. Jesus died and did all this work for me first. And then He says, I want you to exchange living for yourself to live for me. And then the icing on the cake is that as you live for Him, He's going to continue to bless you. You're going to live an abundant life when you live it for him and not for yourself. Come on, let's get honest. Most of us get sick. We get sick of who? Ourselves. Right? We get sick of ourselves. We get sick of our jobs. We get sick of the everyday, everyday things. Right? We get tired of the, the, I got to get up and do this. And I got to do that. And it all seems to revolve around me. I get sick of myself. I never get sick of, of serving Jesus and living for him. Why? Because it's adventurous. You remember the story when I went back here to the trailer house and the woman died? God spoke to me and he said, you better get used to this because I'm going to run you into some crazy situations. His exact words was, I'm going to keep you in the mess of people's lives. And I said, okay, have your way. Since then, a couple of weeks back, Got called to go pray for a lady in church point. I get there. I'm, I'm giving her the plan of salvation. She's dying of cancer. I give her the plan of salvation. One of the guys in our church had already got there before I did. Led her to Christ. So I made sure she was saved and I prayed for healing. No hurry, no rush. Took my time. Prayed for healing. Prayed for a miracle. Got up and left. Two days later. She met the Jesus she gave her life to. You kind of go, just in the nick of time. This week, someone else called me. Would you come pray for my dad? He's dying of cancer. The doctor said they can't do anything else. I'm like, okay, let's go. 
Wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'll go. And I sat in this man's living room and I talked to him about the plan of salvation. And I made sure that he was saved. And then I prayed for a miracle. Now look at me. Nobody's gotten a miracle yet. Not the one that I want to see. I want to see the one where the cancer disappears, right? That's the one I'm waiting for. Now I'm excited because they're going into heaven and that's a miracle in itself. Because when I was praying for the lady that died two days later, the Lord told me, she's already won. Don't stress out, Jamie. She's already won. She's either going to get healed here in this bedroom or she's going to get healed when, she's in her, when she enters into heaven. So she's already won. So stop stressing. I'm like, okay. So now I'll go in. I'm like, hey, you want me to come pray for something? Go, go pray. Let's go. I'm like, God, I'll, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. It's crazy. I'm kind of getting addicted to it. I like it. May sound a little weird, but I just, I do. I mean, I get to catch somebody right before they go see Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. That's what we just sang. Lord, change the way I see. Because of this, I see differently now. Right? I don't see the world revolving around me. I see the world revolving around Christ and I get to be in the flow of it. Come on, somebody. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has, be, has become a new person. Say, I'm new. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And watch this. And God has given us this task the same task that Christ had. God is giving us the same task to reconcile a lost, jacked up, messed up, filthy, dirty world to him. The people at your job that you don't like need Jesus. They don't need you to talk behind their back. They need you to talk to their face and tell them who Jesus is. And tell them where they can find hope and tell them where they can find salvation. Right? He's given us the same task. So, so why did Jesus save us? To give us the same task of reconciling people. I see it like a fisherman, man. We're going out with a net and we're just trying to see how many people we can catch. And then we're going to bring them back and we're going to dump them up in heaven. And then we're going to go back again and we're going to catch some more. Come on. I look a little crazy, don't I? Yeah, you're right. And we're going to catch some more and we're going to dump them in heaven. What is your job on this planet? First and foremost, bring people back to God. Let's not water it down. Let's not push it aside. Let's not think it's less than what it is. That's why we're here. Your number one purpose for being on the planet is to bring people back to God. Verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. Watch this. The word ambassador means representative. Now, some of you haven't represented much in your life. But the day you gave your life to Jesus, you were entrusted to represent God to the world. They wouldn't give you a title in the natural world, 
But God gave you a title as my representation on the planet. As if God is saying, I trust you with the planet. I am representing God to a lost and dying world. How am I doing? How am I doing? The people I run into everywhere, I'm representing God to them. My family, the ones at my house, I'm representing God to them. My extended family, the ones I don't want to go to the family reunion because of, I'm representing God to them. Amen? I am his ambassador, his representation on the planet. Now, God could have left Jesus here, and Jesus could have traveled the globe saving people, but that's not the way God planned it. God planned to build his church and that his church would build his kingdom. Amen? That was his plan. That's what he did. Jesus accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish when he came to earth. He built his church. And the Bible says, and on this church, on this church, the gates of hell won't won't prevail. They won't come through. In other words, you're going to win. You're going to win. We all win. You may get punched in the nose every now and then, but you win. We speak for Christ when we plead. Are you hearing these words? We speak for Christ when we plead. Plead. Plead's not a nice word. Go to Walmart with your kids and get in front of the candy, the candy stuff. What do they do? Oh, mama, please. Come on, mama. Right? We, we whip our kids for pleading. Then we wonder why they won't plead for Christ. We speak for Christ. We're his mouthpiece to the world. When we plead, in other words, beg people to come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's why Jesus died on the cross for you. To hand over his ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean, pastor? That means that he simply gives you a message to convey, a message to share, a story to share. And all you're responsible for doing is share it. Just share it. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them your story. Tell them how you found Jesus. You know what's crazy is, have you ever had people who come and they offer you to do a, they offer to do a favor for you? You ever had those kind of people? You know, they're quick. They, they see you need something. Hey, man, you want me to take care of that? Kind of like a good salesman. Hey, you want, you want me to take care of that? Yeah, man, sure. And no sooner they take care of it, they come back around with a request. Right? And it's usually for way more than they offered to do for you. Right? I run from people like that. 
Right? Listen to what Jesus did. Jesus came and he gave you the greatest gift you could ever receive. He did you the biggest favor that could ever be done for you first. He gave his best to you first. This ain't a shady deal. This is not a scheme. It's not a scam. Jesus came and he gave you the best that you could ever receive, the best that you could ever get. And in return, he wants you to live for him. And then as you live for him, he's going to sprinkle some blessings on you along the way. And he's going to be good to you. And people are going to think you nuts and you're crazy. And he's just going to keep on blessing you along the way. As if to say, you know what, I gave you salvation, I gave you eternity in heaven, but I'm going to still be good to you along the way. That's a good God. Amen? So why did Jesus save you? Second question I want to answer this morning is, what does Jesus really want from us? What does he really want? Is what he's wanting that bad? Is it really that hard? Is it really that difficult? Is he really asking you to do something that's really that embarrassing? Is he really asking too much? Go back up to verse 11, same chapter. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Go to verse 13. If it seems we are crazy, say crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. You see, we all want this new life that Jesus gives us, but not many of us are willing to let go of the old life, right? Because in the old life, you you made yourself some little comfortable spots. You made yourself some little spots where you could kind of protect yourself. You could hide behind your job. You could hide behind your family situation. You could hide behind your past and your hurts and your wounds. And you could say, you know what, God, I, I got all this stuff. You know, I can't really. God's going, you got a new life. The old is gone. The new has begun. What does he really want from us? He wants us to live for him. Paul said, the love of Jesus controls me. (laughs) Jesus' love for me controls me. Not Jesus. Jesus is not up there with a whip. Nope. Nope. What's Jesus? How does Jesus control us? With his love. When we get a revelation of how much he loves us, it changes us. It changes what we see. It changes what we hear. It changes our perspective. It makes me a new person. 
Are you hearing me? When I understand and I realize how much he loved me, that he came in when I was still a sinner and died on a cross for me. Before I ever repented, before I ever said I was sorry, before I ever changed my ways, he came and he died for me. What I love about my pastors is Pastor Bubba and Pastor Jacob, is they both have a similar part in their, their, their testimony that when they first gave their life to Jesus, they, they, were, they were passionate. They were full of zeal. I mean, they had, they had a, an encounter with Jesus, and they were, they were preaching. Pastor Bubba went to the strip as soon as he got saved. Like the, the, the weekend before, he was over there smoking dope, doing whatever else, partying, and, and got saved during the weekend. The next weekend, he's at the same club preaching the gospel. Same thing with Pastor Jacob. Here's the part of their testimony that I love. Both of their parents looked at him one day and said, I liked you when you were unsaved. That's sad, right? No, it's not. Your life needs to disrupt people's lives. Your preaching needs to turn people upside down. We worry more about people's comfort and how they feel than whether or not they're dying and going to hell. Come on, somebody. We're too nice. The church is too nice. I'm too nice of a preacher. Maybe not today, but I'm too nice of a preacher. I've been guilty of preaching watered down messages. My life should frustrate people. It should irritate them. When I read the Bible... When I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus jacked people up. When Jesus came into the city, people got crazy. They were were making plans to run him out of town. When the disciples would enter into a city, things got crazy. What were they doing? Delivering the message. All they were doing was delivering a message. They never hurt anybody. They never stole anything. Are you seeing this? They delivered a message. Watch what's, what verse, verse 13 and 14 says in the message translation. It says, if I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted over, overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. If we're still worried about what other people think, then we haven't realized what God thinks about us. If you're not preaching the gospel and delivering the message that Christ has given you to deliver because you're worried about what other people think, then you don't know what God thinks about you. Because when you know that God sees you as highly when God sees you as his son or his child and you're precious and you're an ambassador and you're royalty he sees you that way when god sees you that way you don't care what other people think about you amen so that's what christ really wants from us so let's talk about this crazy gospel for a second i want to show you the crazy gospel in the lives of two people the first one is jesus And the second one is Paul. 
Let me tell you something. When you read your Bible, I don't know if you read your Bible like me. I read my Bible. I try to see it live. You can get on Facebook and do something live now. Right. When I read my Bible, I see it live. Like I, I don't. Maybe I'm just weird, but I, I see I see it happening. Especially when I read the New Testament. Old Testament's like it's crazy, but the New Testament is like even crazier because I see it happening. Okay. And so in Mark chapter three, verse twenty, Jesus has basically been going at it for a while. He's been teaching people, probably praying for the sick, healing folks, and he hasn't stopped to eat. (laughs) When was the last time we did that? Watch this. Verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard about what was happening, his own family, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Some translations say, he's crazy. Let us save him. This Jesus is crazy. Why is he crazy? Because he missed a meal to be at his life group? Why is he crazy? Because he's been going at it all day? Come on, why, why, what makes him crazy in this moment? What, may, what is so crazy about sitting down with some folks and teaching them the Bible or teaching them about Jesus or praying for them or helping somebody? What's really so crazy about that? The fact that he missed lunch? Maybe dinner? If I was one of his disciples, I'd have kind of been like, I'll just be honest with you, I'd have kind of like, yeah, he is a little crazy. I mean, that brother knows my, you know, my sugar's going to get low. <laughs> That's just me. I mean, I'd, I'd just be like, you know, come on, Jesus, can we get a little, I mean, like a little snack pack or something? I'd be the guy in the back with the little, with the little granola bar. <laughs> he gets called crazy by his own family because he's just teaching people. You know why the religious people hated Jesus so much? Because they couldn't fit him in a box. He didn't fit into their box. He didn't wear what they wore. He didn't say what they said. He didn't do what they did. He did what the father told him to do. And only what the father told him to do. And if it went against what the religious folks said he should be doing, so what? He did it anyway, because it's more important to please God than it is to please man. Amen. At any level, it's more important to do what God tells you to do than to do what man tells you to do. But too many of us today, we've got Jesus in a box. And we take our little box and we go, maybe, maybe you're a good Christian and you give him 30 minutes in the morning. Open my Jesus box. Hey, Jesus. How you doing? You look good today. Right? But then when we're done, what do we do? Close the box. I'll be back tomorrow. And then where do we go? We go to work. 
go to my job, Pastor. I go do my work. Good. The Bible says you need to work, or else you ain't going to eat. But know that when you're going to work, the job that He gave you, He wants to go with you. And He wants you to not be embarrassed about Him. And He wants you to share your stories with Him to the people around you. That's why you have the job that you have. It's not to make a paycheck. It's not to get glory. It's to bring glory to God. You don't like your job? Preach your way out of it. You don't like the people you work with? Get them saved. Pray for them. You might actually like them when they go from spiritual death into spiritual life. Jesus lived a life that didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to the world, but it was exactly what God wanted him to do. I mean, when God Almighty speaks down into the earth and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Don't you think we ought to be living like him? And not like the world? Because I don't know if you know this, but God's never come down or spoke and said, I love this world. It's the greatest world ever. I've never heard that. The only time he said that was about his son. And if he's excited enough to speak to the earth about his son, then I might ought to start acting like the son. I might ought to start acting and giving my life to him and living for him instead of living for myself, right? Jesus was involved in a crazy gospel. He got accused of being crazy for just teaching the crowds. You ought to read some of the stories about when he did miracles. There was one time they pressed him into a corner because he performed a miracle and he was in trouble for it. That that God had to make him disappear. (laughs) One of those weird things. He just disappears and just walks through the crowd. And they're like, where'd he go? You remember that story? Crazy story. He got accused of being crazy for just preaching the gospel. Should have been there when he did miracles. Let's talk about Paul for a minute. Paul. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul gets in trouble. He, he basically goes to the synagogue and he's, He's doing a ceremonial thing, kind of cleansing, and he's praying, and the, and the Jewish religious leaders come in, and they have him arrested. And, and their, their reason for arresting him is because he was stirring up trouble. <laughs> stirring up trouble. Paul gets arrested. The crowd gets violent. They start coming. These are the, supposed to be the religious folks. They're angry. They're chasing Paul. The the, the officers that arrest Paul actually have to lift him up and throw him on their shoulders to bring him out of this crowd that wants to kill him. So they're bringing him. I'm seeing this live in color. They go to bring him up the stairs and Paul's kicking his No, no, stop. Wait, wait, wait. I got something to say. I'm thinking, dude, get out. They're trying to kill you. He wants to preach. They finally put him down and Paul speaks in their language so that they know he's a Jew also. And what does he say? 
His story. I was riding on a horse on my way to execute Christians. And God knocked me off my horse and blinded me. And he spoke to me. And he told me what he was going to use me for. He's going to send me to the Gentiles. He shares his story. And then he goes to jail. So then he gets, he gets to come in front of the first king. And the first king brings him in and the, the Jewish people are there to accuse him. And he's like, okay, why, why are you wanting me to arrest this guy? Why you want me to execute him? And they started making things up. Paul goes, no, it's not true. That's all a bunch of lies. Let me tell you what I did. You see, I was on this horse. And God knocked me off the horse and blinded me. And then he brought me to this place and, and he spoke to me. And he told me to go preach to the Gentiles. That's why they arrested me. Now watch this. Paul leaves there, goes to another king or another governor for more questioning. So the next governor says, why are you here? Well, you see, I was on this horse. And God knocked me off of this horse. And then he blinded me. And then he spoke to me. And he told me I'd go preach to the Gentiles. Do you see what's going on? Paul's arrested here. And as he's being arrested, he shares his story. He goes to the first trial. And he shares his story. He goes to the next trial and he shares his story again. What did Paul just do? He just preached to everybody from there to here. We get so consumed with what we're going through and what's going on in our lives that we forget to preach the gospel. Sometimes you get arrested to preach to the people that are arresting you. That was a scary statement. Are you seeing this? This is crazy. Paul's not trying to get off the hook. In fact, he's not even begging for his life. He's just telling his story. Finally, it comes in front of this guy named Festus. Sounds like he should have been on the monsters or something. And, And once again, Paul's telling his story. You see, I was on this horse. And, and this light came and God knocked me off of my horse and, and Jesus spoke to me and I was blinded and he told me I would preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul's just going on and on and on and on and he's not quitting preaching. He's not giving up. As soon as they give him an opportunity to speak, he's speaking. And the only way to shut him up is to either walk out the room or have him drug out the room. Paul realized I'm here to preach the gospel. And he's preaching. And watch what Festus says in Acts chapter 26, verse 24. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much studying has made you crazy. When's the last time you drove somebody nuts by telling them about Jesus? When's the last time you irritated somebody by sharing your story? When's the last time you got accused of being crazy? Because you were talking about Jesus. Come on, I'm serious, y'all. When's the last time you disrupted somebody's life with a message of life?
When's the last time you pushed the limits on your relationship with somebody? Paul quickly responds. He says, I'm not insane. And then he keeps on preaching. He keeps on preaching. And, and then King Agrippa jumps in. He goes, time up. I'll stop. Stop. Do you think you're going to persuade me so quickly? Paul comes back. He says, well, quickly or not, my prayer is that you and everybody else in this room that's listening to me is going to be just like I am. In other words, my prayer is that if I keep speaking and I keep preaching, sooner or later the rest of you clowns are going to get saved. You know what they did? They stood up and walked out. They left the building. Are you seeing this? So let me finish it up with this. The crazy gospel. I told you the crazy gospel about Jesus. And I told you the crazy gospel with Paul. Let me share with you the crazy gospel with you. This ain't going to feel good. Mark 838 says this from the message translation. If any of you are embarrassed of me and the way I'm leading you when you get around, you're fickle. And unfocused friends know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in the splendor of God, his Father, with an army of holy angels. Mm-hmm. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I, For I am not ashamed of, the, of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. 2 Timothy 1.8 from the message translation says, So don't be embarrassed to speak up for our master and for me, his prisoner. Take your share of suffering for the message along with the rest of us. You see in this. I'm not trying to put you in a headlock, but I am. <laughs> 